Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Austin Meek with Waco Business News, and you're listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco business. My guest today is musician Dave Innes. Dave, best known for his work with the band Restless Heart, discusses his upcoming residency at the Downtown Cocktail Bar, Stay Classy, and also the line between audience and entertainer, and how he straddles that when he gets up on stage. But first, it's the Business Review with C.J. Jackson. Amoral Management. I'm CJ Jackson, and this is the Business Review. When employees are faced with a moral decision in the workplace, they look to their leaders on how to respond. Matthew Quaid, Associate Professor of Management, shares what happens when leaders do not clearly discuss ethics with their employees and the implications of amoral management. What we find is that amoral management, kind of this lack of leader responsiveness to ethical situations, has a negative effect on employees, specifically in the form of decreased moral courage and then subsequent increased unethical behavior. And so an example could be, you know, having to turn down something that you're being offered from a client or a customer because you know that it would produce a conflict of interest that would be detrimental to yourself or to the organization. Quaid's research shows that when supervisors are not giving ethical guidance, employees are left to their own devices to make tough decisions. The lack of moral courage ultimately results in increased unethical behavior. Since employees get most of their moral guidance from their direct supervisor, it's imperative for organizations to hire and train ethical leaders. So some key steps to prevent amoral management is to make sure that leaders in particular, supervisors in particular, know that amoral management is not acceptable, um, that they need to have clear standards and guidance for their employees when it comes to the moral and ethical expectations that the organization has for those employees. And so being really clear from the top down, I think, helps really both sides. It helps the organization identify people who want to join that organization because there's alignment of values and beliefs. And then it helps employees realize which organizations would be a better fit for them as they're exploring different career opportunities. The Business Review is a production of Livingston and McKay and the Handcammer School of Business at Baylor University. The Business Review can be heard every Thursday during Morning Edition and All Things Considered on KWBU. I'm now joined in studio by Dave Innes, musician best known for his work with the band Restless Heart. Welcome to Downtown Depot. Thank you, Austin. It's nice to be here with you. What has you in Waco right now, Dave? 
my wife and I uh, decided to retire here. So uh, Restless Heart, which is the band I was in for 40 years, stopped touring in 2021, kind of at the end of 2021. It's kind of a COVID-related, you know, we had slowed down so much that we thought, well, at the end of that, you know, it's we've done this 40 years on the road. A lot of shows, especially in the early days, but even at the end, we were doing probably 80 shows a year plus playing the Grand Ole Opry and doing uh, charity events. So still pretty time consuming and a lot of brushing my teeth at truck stops and, you know, staying at Holiday Inn Expresses. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't get more glamorous even if you've been doing it for 40 Woo. years. <laughs> well, we love, you know, playing for the folks and it was it had gotten to where it was like a, you know, almost like a family reunion because mostly it was nostalgia because we had the majority of our hits in the mid to late 80s and early and into the early 90s. We did do some more stuff in, I think, uh, 2006 or 2007, but mostly people wanted to hear the greatest hits. And so, you know, we did a couple of medleys of uh, artists that we had toured with. So it had like... Oh, gosh, Alan Jackson, Hank Williams, uh, the Judds, Alabama. Uh, those were some of the artists that we had toured with. Reba McIntyre, but uh, Larry used to always say, we don't sound good singing uh, fancy. Here's, you know, <laughs> here's your one chance, don't let me down. <laughs> so uh, we didn't do any Reba songs, but yeah, it just seemed like after after we'd been off the road for a while, People were just wanting to do something else. So, a few stats about Restless Heart: twenty-six songs were on the Billboard Hot Country Song charts. Uh, you had two songs, "When She Cries," as well as "I'll Still Be Loving You," that reached top forty on the Billboard one hundred. You guys were largely together for forty years. I know there were a few hiatuses in between. Right. What's the secret sauce for staying in a relationship with other creative people for four decades? I really couldn't tell you. I mean, I think maybe giving each other space and, and uh, you know, trying to have some empathy and, and you know, as in all relationships, it, you know, there are ups and downs. But, you know, it actually got easier because in the early years there was a lot of testosterone flowing. You know, young men, We I was in my early 20s when we signed with RCA. and You know, we had no experience being on the road knowing what that was going to be like. And, you know, and then the last let's say the last 20 years uh, we all pretty much knew the ropes and we didn't have as much pressure on us because we weren't promoting records except I think we we did have that one record come out in uh, in 2000 as I was saying earlier 2006 2007 but for the most part we were just you know seeing fans that already loved our music you know it's it's tough for new artists because you don't have enough name recognition people don't know your music yet so you can be playing the same songs off your first album that later become uh popularized by being on the radio and people won't respond to them until they've heard them over and over again so you know it actually got easier to summarize <laughs> how as a creative do you balance the audience's desires for wanting you to shut up and play the hits versus saying, guys, this is a new song that I wrote. You shut up and listen to this. Well, I 
think that the line is probably how much do you want to, you know, be a quote artist and play the stuff that I, there's there's two ways. There's either artists that want to play stuff that they want to play because, you know, it's their show and they're going to do whatever they want and everyone else can just, you know, get used to it. And, that, that's and, like your classic Van Morrison, Bob Dylan, I'm coming up here and I'm playing my songs. I'm not just going to play Rolling Stone or Brown Eyed Girl. And if you're Van Morrison or Bob Dylan, you can do that, you know. I remember taking my son to see... Bob Dylan when he was little just saying one day you're going to be able to tell your friends that you saw Bob Dylan and he was like I, okay and then he went and and you know a couple of years later he was like I'm so glad you took me to see Bob Dylan dad but anyway then there's sort of the line between artist and entertainer and if you're taking into consideration the entertainment value of of your set well then you know you got to hit the greatest hits and as you get to know your audience, for instance, we had very loyal fans that would follow us around or would at the least come to our shows over and over again when we were anywhere close to their town. And as you get to know your fans and their favorite songs, you want to play them the songs that they want to hear. And uh, but we, I mean, we did do a few songs that were not hits for us, but they were still hits because they were uh, songs that were so popular uh, either from artists that we had worked with, that was kind of our angle on it, you know, because a lot of our fans had come to see us when we were playing, like, for instance, with Alan Jackson or Hank or whoever it was. And so they had an appreciation for that music because, for instance, we were on the road with Alabama for two years and with Hank for a year. I think we did two years with Reba and a couple of years with the Judd. So that was pretty much from the time we got together um yeah there was about 10 or 12 years of uh being uh on a two or three act bill and we were generally the middle act so uh yeah that's how that works you know we just realized that we liked we had a really tight show we couldn't even get all the hits in towards the end so we would do medleys you know and uh it was enjoyable for all of us in the band to see people reacting and enjoying the the music that we were performing. And for me personally, that's so uh, uh, gratifying to make people, to give them the opportunity to kind of lose their inhibitions a little bit and to smile and laugh and sing along and participate. Because I think that uh, that's the mark of good entertainment is when people are able to loosen up enough to where they sing along and, and really have it be a... Uh, you know, an experience that, that they're a part of. If you're on tour with two other bands and Restless Heart is playing that middle set, is it like you're in high school and there's the freshman team and the junior varsity and the varsity and everyone's kind of just, ooh, ah, Alabama's here? It it definitely was in the beginning when we didn't have uh, music that was recognizable by our audiences. And at that point, we were just grateful to Alabama for letting us open for them. And uh, hey, How did that come about? Well, we were label mates at RCA. They were the flagship act, and we were the new kids on the block. And the, uh, Alabama and their management was very gracious to us and allowed us to open their shows. But then our music started getting 
popular enough to where we could headline on our own. But, you know, uh, still, oh, we became the middle act at that point. And there'd be somebody, you know, a new artist on the label that would uh, open the shows. And then we'd be the middle act. You know, Alabama's, I mean, they're just, you know, sold 80 million records. We're in the... I'd say we're somewhere between five and six million records, which is a lot of records, but it's not 80 million records, you know. So there was no question about who the headliner was in those instances. And then, of course, we did a lot of co-headline stuff, like with Shenandoah, we would switch. They'd, they'd open one, and then we'd, uh, and then we'd open one, and, and that worked out really well, too. So, yeah, I just kind of... But I will tell you a story, though. We... Uh, let Alan Jackson open shows for us when we were in our heyday, and he was uh, an artist that had no name recognition because he had just signed his deal. So that went on, and people really weren't, you know, paying that much attention. They were sort of filing in to see Restless Heart while Alan was playing, and <laughs> at a certain point, he released uh, released the song "Don't Rock the Jukebox," which was a giant hit. And right after that happened, we had to go to him and say, Alan, we want to uh, open the rest of this tour because we, you know, we can't follow you anymore. He got too big. So it's kind of funny to see that kind of thing happen. But in Restless Heart, we were the first ones to know when it was, you know, when, when it was time to move over and let whoever it was like Alan Jackson skyrocket on past. And are those internal conversations you guys are having or is this pressure from the label? No, it's the realization that people are coming to see the act that was opening for you, and now instead of coming, you know, coming to see you primarily, they're coming to see the artist that was your opener. So that's like, hey, listen, you know, it's just sort of artist code. It is. You just you know. You like know. the audience is always right. Yeah, and in the case of Alan Jackson, he couldn't have been a nicer guy, right? He was just, and we, you know, we were playing, you know, football and you know, baseball when we were on the road and doing a lot of celebrity, you know, there were, or you know, pro am kind of. Well, pro am is not the right word. Fan appreciation, you know, uh, baseball or softball or whatever it was. Uh, so, yeah, we got to know those guys pretty good, and Alan's a great guy just all around. What a songwriter. Is there anyone you played with in any of those celebrity baseball games or golf tournaments that surprised you with their athleticism? Yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, Marty from uh, Diamond Rio is a really good golfer, and, of course, Vince Gill, we— uh, that's another example of somebody that was opening shows for us when he signed at RCA. He moved over to MCA, and the first single release was "When I Call Your Name." He became a you know a superstar after that song, so you know he had to close out the rest of the tour. But I remember when he was the opening act, I used to go play a set with him because I'd worked with him some in the studio when he was doing songwriter demos. So we had a relationship, and the guys in Restless Heart were like, "Why are you playing with the opening act? Why you know? Why aren't you?" Uh, you know, it's the mystique of coming out there together, and I was like, to heck with that. I want to play. <laughs> I've always been a musician uh, at heart, so, you know, it's the only thing I've ever done. I started when I was six. Uh, my mom was a piano teacher, so, you know, she 
uh, was my teacher until I was in high school. Actually, senior in high school, I think. I thought I knew way too much to take lessons from my mom anymore, so I kind of went out on my own. And where was this? In Bartlesville, Oklahoma. It's about 50 miles north of Tulsa. My dad worked for the Phillips 66 Oil Company, as did everybody else in town, right? You go play Kane's Ballroom when you were in high school? Of course I did. I, I knew Larry Schaefer, and, uh, yeah, we played Kane's. Bob Wills used to play there. I mean, they've had a lot of rock acts and country acts come through there over the years. You're hearing from Dave Ennis, musician best known for his work with the band Restless Heart. Dave is now situated in Waco and beginning a residency at Stay Classy downtown on Austin Avenue. How did this collaboration with Stay Classy come about, and why did you choose that bar? Uh, it kind of chose me. As I said, my wife, Adrienne, and I moved down here about, I guess it would have been a year ago, June, right? And I had played there, uh, I don't know, three or four times with, uh, with a band, a local band, and uh, I just made friends with, uh, with Jacob and Katie, as had Adrian. And so we were having him over for brunch one Sunday and pitched them this idea. I'd always kind of toyed with, let's see, what am I going to want to do in retirement? And, uh, you know, I just always thought, how cool would it be to have a house gig somewhere playing piano and singing and, and you know, getting to regulars that would come in uh, to hear Restless Heart or whatever else I'm doing, you know. Uh, so I thought about doing some themed nights, and I, I talked to them about that, like a Rat Pack set or a Grand Ole Opry set or a Restless Heart set, and then the second set being, you know, more eclectic. But, uh, yeah, I played down there on Black Friday, and, and the place was full, and uh, I did – fairly eclectic uh, sets, and people really liked that, that I didn't just do all one kind of music that I, uh, you know, I take other songs and make them my own, put my own spin on things. But, uh, yeah, so that's how it came about, and they were receptive to that idea immediately. What I told them, actually, was if you'll build me a stage, I will bring a grand piano in there and put it on that stage and I'll be your uh, your resident artist and they said wow what a terrific idea so we just kept talking about it and fleshed it out and and uh, now it's uh, you know it's a done deal stage built the pianos on the stage and you know as I said I've, I've performed there once so far as uh, uh, on that stage with that piano it's a beautiful piano so uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. It's going to be really cool. So there will be different music if you come on one Thursday versus another one. Oh yeah, I'm constantly learning new songs. I just love doing that. And of course, with Restless Heart, we just were playing the greatest hits over and over towards the you know the last the last ten years for sure. So it's fun to kind of break things up and, and uh, you know, if somebody has a song they want to hear that I know, I'll play it. And if they want to, if there's a song that they want to hear that I don't know, I'll write it down. I'll go home and learn it. And so that is kind of a incentive for them to come back and bring all their friends, knowing that they're going to get to hear a song that they requested that I learned for them. 
So, you know, it's a lot of fun and, and uh, gives me a creative outlet to uh, play some music that I hadn't been able to play in front of an audience for a long time. What's something that's happening in contemporary music that's interesting to you right now? Someone who's been a veteran in this space for 30, 40 years now. I love seeing young talent come up through the ranks. You know, whether it's hearing them on the radio or whether it's... Uh, but it's really interesting to me to see this young Waco talent um, as, as they're, you know, learning and experimenting and, uh, you know, trying out new things and getting more experience and recording and, you know, all the things you do when you've got that. As a 20-year-old, I remember when my son... Isom, who's also in the music business, he's out in Los Angeles, and as he was coming up in junior high school and, you know, discovered, here's a story for you, he was like really into video games in junior high, I mean, he was unbeatable on Halo and whatever, the James Bond and those kinds of things, and then I came home with this uh, digital uh, recording software that, you know, runs on your computer. And he goes, what's that, Dad? And I showed him, and he never played video games again. He uh, uh, just poured all his energy into, into recording and ended up going into the business like me. So, uh, you know, that was really gratifying for me to, to, to kind of see him come up through the ranks. And so, you know, it's gratifying to me to see others uh, doing well, and I like to kind of try to give back. Uh, I'm working with a band right now that's local to uh, Waco, and particularly this gal, her name's Chloe, and she's a, was introduced to me by uh, Jacob and Katie. She's an amazing talent. I mean, she has got a beautiful voice, and, you know, her personality is just right for the business. You know, she's, you know, very well-spoken and, you know, just an interesting person to get to know and, and has loads of talent, great songwriter, etc. So I had her and uh, her guitar player, Matthew, come over to my home one night and, you know, my wife fed them dinner and they came out and worked in my recording studio and, uh, you know, at the end of that I was like, Adrian said, I want to adopt Chloe, and I was like, well, yeah, you know, come over and use my studio anytime you want. Y'all are delightful. So, you know, this this is the great thing about being in Waco is to kind of engage with the community, and that's one of the things that I love so much about Jacob and Katie down at Stay Classy Waco. They're very community-minded, and, and they're very generous with their time and and their uh, their talent. So... It was just a natural fit. We uh, we had an understanding that was almost, you know, uh, just kind of intuitive. We were just, you know, had instant chemistry. Why Waco? Why set up here? I always, people ask me that, and I go, why not Waco? Uh, the, I'd played here at the Hippodrome a bunch of times with Restless Heart, and, and uh, I played there with Steve Warner not that long ago, actually. I'd done about 26 shows with him, but... I always liked this town, and, and Baylor's here, and, you know, so it's a college town. We looked at, at a lot of other places to retire. This made sense from several, for several reasons, one of which being it's a great town, you know, and I, I love, my wife and I both love Texas. 
my daughter-in-law live or uh, her folks live in Fort Worth and my son and his wife whose folks are the ones in Fort Worth work in Austin quite a bit uh they're my son does soundtracks for the movies that she directs, and she's really an up-and-coming uh, screenwriter and director. And, and uh, she's been an actress for quite a while and has had, had quite a bit of success at it, but is kind of getting to the point where she likes being behind the camera instead of in front. I mean, she'll not that she's not continuing to be an actress, but this is a whole other avenue for her that she's pursuing so we're hoping that they'll move to Austin and uh, you know we'll start seeing some grandkids <laughs> so Waco has the geography that you're looking for it's, it's got the people got the people yeah oh Austin people here are so nice and and uh, friendly outgoing Nashville was getting too big for us especially in retirement it was you know just exploding and it felt more like uh, Dallas or Atlanta or you know a, a huge you know uh, San Antonio we wanted to move someplace that was uh, smaller and and had a small town uh, vibe about it and I know 140,000 is way bigger than than Waco used to be but it's still small by comparison to Nashville where I had been for a long, long time. At some point, Dallas and Nashville and Atlanta all look the same. There's a Starbucks and a Whole Foods and a Lululemon. It's these cities like Waco <laughs> that really have the opportunity to put a, a stamp on on an area. Yes, that's right. And then the other reason to come to Texas is H-E-B, obviously. <laughs> Here, everything is better. Well, Dave, I'm glad that you're going to be putting your stamp on the Waco music scene if listeners of Downtown Depot want to experience your work during your residency at Stay Classy, how can they do that? Well, I'm going to be there December 8th and December 17th, playing from 5 to 7. And then starting in January, I'm there every Thursday from 5 to 7 and alternating Fridays and Saturdays. And in January, uh, let's see, I start the first Saturday and then, you know, the next Friday and then Saturday, Friday, etc. So, uh, and that's from 8 to 10. Uh, so, you know, I'm really trying to get that happy hour thing going for them. And I think that there's a whole demographic that they can tap because they like to be out earlier and then maybe go to next door to Portofino and, or go to uh, the Hippodrome for something after that. So, you know, a lot of people want to be, you know, brushing their teeth by 10 o'clock, you know. So Fridays and Saturdays is a younger crowd usually, so that's 8 to 10. and But 5 to 7, I think, is going to be a blast. Happy hour at Stay Classy with Dave Ennis. Dave, on Thursdays, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing some of your story here on Downtown Depot, and thank you for choosing Waco. I'm excited to interact with you and your music. Austin, you are delightful to talk to, and uh, I look forward to becoming friends with you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks again to Dave Ennis and to you for tuning into episode 140 of Downtown Depot here on Waco Public Radio. You can find me in between episodes on Facebook and Instagram at Waco Business News and join us back here on the third Friday of December for another conversation with an inspiring small business owner, civic leader, or engaged citizen sparking Waco's revitalization. I'm Austin Meek. 
and you've been listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco business. Waco business.